My name is Joe Hawkins, and this is the History of the Mormon Church and 50 Objects Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of History of the Mormon Church and 50 Objects. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to my listeners in the United Kingdom. The History of the Mormon Church and 50 Objects podcast made the top 20 list of religion and history categories in the United Kingdom thanks to you. So cheers, and thanks for listening. Right, today we're back to Kirtland, and we'll be progressing the story of the Mormon Church after taking a brief detour into a couple of objects that are very important to modern-day Mormons. To open the episode, I wanted to touch on a story common to most Christians and readers of the Bible. When Jesus Christ was in the middle of his ministry, he was approached by a rich young man. The man, hoping to become a true follower of Jesus Christ, asked Jesus what he needed to do to have eternal life. If you recall the story, Jesus responds with the basic Christian themes of don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal or bear false witness, and honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor. Now, keep in mind the things Jesus had done to this point, most all of which was openly known. So according to the book of Matthew, he had delivered the Sermon on the Mount, exploding his ministry into the open. He had healed a leper, cured the centurion's servant, calmed the stormy waters of Galilee before his disciples could be swallowed up in the water, and he'd cast out devils. Jesus then publicly healed a paralytic and a woman with a blood disease was cured by merely touching his robes. Jesus brought Jairus' daughter back from the dead, and he healed the eyes of a blind man who could not see. From there, Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. That same day, Jesus was seen walking upon the water. So at that point in Christ's ministry, if you'd heard about all of that and possibly seen some of those things, if you already considered yourself to be a follower of his teachings, then the youth asked a very fitting question. At this point, what could Christ possibly ask from the youth after all that he had seen and heard that would have been too much for him? Well, according to Matthew, Christ asked the youth to sell all his possessions Give them to the poor and to follow him. What happened to the youth at that point? Well, it says he was sorrowful and walked away for he had great possessions. There is a theme here that even the Son of God had difficulty surmounting. The theme is this, that church leadership can ask just about anything from its followers but financial ruin. That seems to be just too much. Today's object is a Kirtland Safety Society note. So, What is a Kirtland Safety Society note, and how did they come about? After the Kirtland Temple was dedicated by Joseph Smith in March of 1836, the Mormons in Kirtland recorded stories of visions, and there was a sense that things in Ohio had settled in for the Mormon Church. But for Joseph Smith and the leadership, there were problems at hand. First off, the church had rising debts. The leadership had taken out a number of loans to help pay for the temple construction. On top of that, More and more converts were showing up every day. Most of these converts were poor and homeless and hoping they could get assistance from the funds of the church or generosity of the members. The number of poor Mormons got so large that local Mormons in Kirtland were becoming concerned. 
This led Joseph Smith to advise all the branches not to send penniless families to Kirtland. He said, quote, The saints have neglected the necessary preparation beforehand. The rich have generally stayed back and withheld their money, while the poor have gone first and without money. Under these circumstances, what could be expected but the appalling scene that now presents itself? End quote. This appalling scene he referenced was the form of hundreds of small, poorly constructed homes, built just south of the temple full of poor converts. With their debts hanging over them, and the church needing funds to help settle more and more Mormons in Kirtland and Missouri, Joseph Smith began looking for new enterprises to help the Mormons financially. The leadership of the church was willing to consider everything. Joseph Smith even traveled to Salem, Massachusetts after a recent convert told them he could help them uncover a small fortune. Now the money wasn't found, but during these travels the leadership came upon the idea of setting up a bank. The Mormon church didn't have money, but they did have assets in the form of land. Land prices in Kirtland were increasing very rapidly with a huge influx of converts. So with legal assistance, an article of agreement was drafted to incorporate a bank in Kirtland, Ohio, which would be called the Kirtland Safety Society. In November of 1836, Oliver Cowdery went to Philadelphia to purchase plates for printing currency, and Orson Hyde went to the state capitol with a petition to the legislature that they approve the Mormons' proposal to incorporate a bank. Now, for our purposes, it should be noted that this was a pretty common thing for large financial organizations at the time. The number of banks in the United States had nearly doubled in the 1830s alone, so banks were popping up everywhere. It also seemed a great solution to the Mormons' problem, as a bank could provide loans, print currency, and be a safe financial depository for the Mormons. However, as I've been forced to frequently say on this podcast, things didn't go according to plan. Whereas Oliver returned with the plates for printing, Orson had received some bad news. The Ohio legislature, after hearing his proposal, had refused to grant a charter for the requested bank. Although disappointed, the Mormons weren't finished. They thought it through and pivoted from creating a bank to creating a joint stock company to now be called the Kirtland Safety Society Anti-Banking Company. Their reasoning? Other uncharted and unauthorized banks were organized in Ohio. The Mormons assumed that individuals had a legal right to organize a private company that engaged in banking activities. So it was quickly organized, and most of the Mormon church leadership immediately invested in the Kirtland Safety Society, and they began to print notes and to do business. Now, where can you see a Kirtland Safety Society note? If you Google the notes, you can see images of the $1, 2 5 and $10 notes online. Enough of them were printed that you could even buy one on a rare coin-collecting website or at an auction. I think I'm going to try to purchase one at some point. So, what happened to the Kirtland Safety Society, and what role did it play in Mormon history? If I had authorization at this point, I would cue up the Jaws soundtrack music. From the get-go, the Kirtland Safety Society was in trouble. There were a couple of factors that led to its speedy collapse. First off, other banks in Ohio refused to accept the Safety Society notes as a legal tender. As the Mormons' capital was largely in the form of land, the Safety Society didn't possess much specie or gold and silver coinage. America was fast approaching a major recession, and specie was all any financial institution wanted at the time. Second, financial competitors of the church knew that it ran against their interests to have the Mormon church 
have a successful bank in the area. As such, many tasked their employees with immediately going around the state and buying up as many of the Safety Society notes as possible. Within weeks of the bank opening, this created a run on the currency. Orson Hyde got scared and immediately suspended operations. This caused the value of the Kirtland Safety Society notes to immediately plummet, and it also allowed their competitors to buy even more notes. We're now in 1837, and if you'll remember, we discussed in episode 19 that America was hit with the Panic of 1837. The recession had finally arrived. When the economic bubble finally burst, banks across America were forced to shut their doors. As such, there was a general suspension of payment in specie by all banks in Ohio. Money was scarce, and the church's loans were getting called in. Joseph began to plead with members and leadership to trust the Safety Society and to invest more into it. His attempts were in vain, however, and the Safety Society continued to falter. As the Kirtland Safety Society prepared to close its doors, Joseph stepped down and left the leadership in the hands of other men. They too couldn't save it, and the bank finally closed its doors in November of 1837. Now, the real challenge here. The 200 or so Mormons who had invested in the bank lost nearly everything they had invested. This included a large percentage of Mormon leadership. So when Joseph Smith left on a mission to preach the gospel, some of these men began to claim he was now a fallen prophet. While Joseph was gone, full-scale apostasy took over the Kirtland Mormons. The loss of money and enterprise was wearing on the Mormons, and many of them blamed Joseph Smith. So in August of 1837, again while Joseph was gone, Warren Parrish, a former scribe for the prophet and an officer in the Kirtland Safety Society, and John Boyton, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, led a group of disgruntled men armed with pistols and knives in an attempted takeover of the temple during one of Joseph Smith Sr.'s Thursday night fast and testimony meetings. In panic and terror, several people jumped out the temple windows. The police were called to restore calm, and when Joseph Smith came home, these men were disfellowshipped from the church. Some of them showed some sincere contrition, and they were forgiven. One of them was Parley P. Pratt. Parley got caught up in the anger against Joseph Smith and noted later that, quote, I went to Brother Joseph in tears, and, with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, I confessed wherein I had erred in spirit. I had murmured, or done and said amiss. He, Joseph, frankly forgave me. He prayed for me and he blessed me. Thus by experience I learned more fully to discern and to contrast the two spirits and to resist the one and cleave to the other. End quote. After Joseph Smith had set the church in Kirtland in order, he and Orson Hyde went to Missouri to do the same thing there. But while he was gone, things in Kirtland flared up again. Warren Parrish, John Boyton, and now Luke Johnson, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and 30 other Kirtland citizens, attempted to start their own competing church. They even attempted to claim the Kirtland Temple under the premise that the church was still true, but Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon were not. This, however, fell apart when they were talked down by Martin Harris. Martin Harris wouldn't recant his testimony of the Book of Mormon and Joseph's divine calling. This, considering Martin himself, was apostatizing from the church. As a result of all of this, when Joseph Smith returned, he then excommunicated more than 50 leading members of the church. This, however, caused even more problems. The excommunicated members began to sue the church over lands, 
loss of funds, and leadership. Joseph Smith alone was sued over 17 times in that period. The disgruntled former Mormons were also riling up Kirtland locals against the Mormons. Joseph Smith said he felt that the very powers of hell were trying to consume him and the church. According to one historian, between 1837 and June 1838, possibly two or three hundred Kirtland saints withdrew from the church, representing a 10 to 15 percent of the membership there. This period would come to be known as the Mormon Great Apostasy, and it carried over somewhat to Missouri. In a nine-month period, the three witnesses to the Book of Mormon, a member of the First Presidency, Frederick G. Williams, four members of the Twelve Apostles, and several members of the First Quorum of the Seventy left the church. But what about Brigham Young? Because he so vehemently continued to defend the prophet Joseph Smith against all odds, Brigham Young said his life was threatened, and he was forced to leave and flee to Missouri with his family. Finally, in January of 1838, Luke Johnson, now an excommunicated member of the church, but a sympathizer to Joseph Smith, approached him and tipped him off about an assassination plot that was underway. That night, Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon saddled up their horses and fled to Missouri. According to Joseph, they were pursued all the way through Indiana. This was a very trying time for the Mormons. This was the end of the beautiful days in Kirtland. With Joseph gone, the excommunicated leadership hoped to reestablish the church on their terms in Kirtland. However, in the end, the rank and file membership stuck with Joseph Smith. They all packed up their wagons, and thousands began the trek to settle with Joseph Smith in Missouri. Now, if you'll recall, in episode 19, we discussed how Joseph Smith called the first Mormon missionaries to England. It should be noted that just as Warren Parrish declared Joseph Smith a fallen prophet, he called on some of his most faithful leaders to leave Kirtland at that time and head out on their missions. What does that say of Joseph Smith and his belief in this movement? Now, if you know your Mormon history, you know that the Mormons are about to land in Missouri just at the outset of the Missouri-Mormon War. This had to be, though, their most trying time. Whereas all these other confrontations in their history, Independence, Missouri, Far West, Illinois, this one was internal, and it was a loss of major leadership. Going back to our story, the rich youth that Jesus Christ told to sell his possessions and follow walked away sorrowful. What would have been his reaction had he lost all his possessions before having that conversation with Jesus? In the end, we know that one of Jesus' closest colleagues, one of his own hand-chosen apostles, was willing to sell him to death for just 30 pieces of silver. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode on History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects, Episode 22, The Kirtland Safety Society Note. Go and check out one of those notes. They're pretty awesome and think about what it cost the Mormon Church to produce them. As always, if you have questions about this episode, you can reach out to me directly at joe, H-O-M-C, historyofmormonchurch at gmail.com. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends or on social media. Thanks again for listening.